This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. We have seen God's sovereignty, God's love, God's grace. Now in verse 30, we're going to see man's responsibility, verses 30 to 33. And there's some teachings out there, Calvinistic views, hyper-Calvinism. They think that man has no responsibility. We have no power. We can't save ourselves. Yes, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any of us should boast. We're saved by grace, yes. But we're not forced to accept it. We have this, again, free will. The Bible says that you were predestined to good works and that God knew you even before the foundations of the world. As Pastor Eddie continues his teaching series through the book of Romans, he'll be encouraging you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work within you. The only reason you've been saved is because God first put the desire within you. Now that you've received salvation through Jesus, you need to work out what he's already worked inside of you. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Romans chapter 9 for today's edition of Running the Race. the Bible, it tells you in Revelation that the 144,000 are male Jewish virgins. If you're not a Jew, you're not a male, if you're not a virgin, you don't, you're definitely not going to be the 144,000. But the warnings keep going on throughout the history of the church. have been warning about this coming of the Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ. We've been warning people it's going to happen. Oh, this rapture, you believe in it? Yes, I do. I know there's a lot of crazy stories that we, we, we're so filled with so much, you know, uh, movies and stories and conspiracies. And all of a sudden, now the real thing, which is the real thing, the rapture is now considered a joke. And that's what Peter says. And last day, there'll be scoffers that will say, where is this coming? We've heard that from the very beginning. Saints, he's a promise-keeping God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus Christ is coming. He is coming. And time will come. And the warning has been given over and over again. But there will only be a remnant. I believe there will be tribulation saints. Those that are remember. Wait a minute. John kept telling me about this coming of Messiah. About this rapture stuff. Mark kept telling me about this rapture stuff. Wayne's been telling me about this rapture stuff. What's going on? And then when the church is no longer here, they'll probably say aliens took us, you know. But it's going to happen. But there will be a remnant. You think it's, it's hard for people to accept Christ now. That's the reality. There's a remnant now. We see that from the flood. We see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. We see it today. It's only a remnant that are serving God and believing God. Can you imagine when the church is no longer here? The salt and light. We're the salt and light of the earth. This was preserving the church. This was preserving this world. I'm sorry. The church, the sunlight, we're gone. You think it's hard now. Wait till the church is gone. It's going to be a lot harder. There's still a remnant that will be saved. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 30, 13 and 14, 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And they are few who will find it. How many will find it? A few. A few is a narrow gate. Many will go through the wide gate of destruction. Because that's their choice, their free will. There's destruction ahead. And they want to go their way. But only a few will find life through the narrow gate. And I like what he says, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Saints, I don't think because you're a Christian things, but I heard someone once gave their life to the Lord. And it was, it was, it was just awesome that she gave her life to the Lord in my job. And she was sharing this with me because she knows was a Christian. Another person walked in the office and said, you know, yeah, no. And she was just sharing. I stepped away. She came back. Yeah, you know, I accept God and my problems are gone. I said, oh, boy. But it was sweet. And you know, I kind of shared. I said, you know what? We're going to go through everybody. Guess what? You're going to get sick. You're going to catch a cold just like the person who's not saved going to catch a cold. You're going to have, you know, problems just like everybody else. The only thing is we're better off. We have God to help us. Yes. So, it's, you know, it's going to be, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to lead to life. And only a few would find it. Jesus also said in Matthew 22, chapter 22, verse 14, he said, for many are called but how many? Few are chosen. Few. We're not talking about, again, chosen based on God's foreknowledge. Many are called, but only few. Now, there are Jewish believers now who are part of the remnant now with us today in, in, in our generation that have accepted Christ as the Mashiach, the Messiah. They looked at the prophecy and said, wait a minute, this Jesus that the Gentiles worship He's the one that's been promised to us in the Bible. And then there's a remnant now that are being saved and they have accepted and Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Later on, Paul, when we get to chapter 11, he includes himself and he, called, he says that he's a remnant chosen by grace. Chapter 11, verse 5. A remnant chosen by grace. He includes himself as his remnant. Sad to say, but the reality is not everybody will be converted. Many, many thousands, and almost everybody can be convinced by how many are converted. That's the difference. Everybody knows that Jesus, everybody knows there's a God, but how many, how many are willing to accept Christ and be converted to him, to be a child of Christ and to live with Christ and live for Christ? Verse 28, he says, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. Paul is talking about the, when judgment, the judgment of God comes and when God brings his judgment, it's always going to be quick. It's going to be quickly, swiftly, thoroughly with finality. That's the way God judges. When he judges, it's going to be quick. The great tribulation We've been on this planet for almost 6,000 years, but guess what? The great tribulation is only seven years. That's quick. Seven years. A lot can happen seven years. Can you think back seven years from now? That was like yesterday. Like yesterday. In verse 29, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth have left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. The phrase, the Lord of Sabaoth, is the same phrase. You're probably reading scripture, the Lord 
of heaven's army. And it means God all encompassing, encompassing lordship. The fact that God is transcendent above all things. He's supreme, his supreme reign. It talks about his mighty lordship. And what Paul is saying here is based on our wretched, wicked, evil ways. All of us deserve God's judgment. All of us deserve to be completely wiped out from the face of the earth. Just as God did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Have anybody met a sodomite? Anybody say, hey, my family tree, I went to one of those genealogy things. I gave my DNA. My great, great, great is a sodomite. Really? Don't exist. And again, you may think this is doom and gloom, but this is the reality. What Paul is trying to say here again, listen, I'm not trying to give you this fiery preaching uh, brimstone, but I'm letting you know the reality is that, that God could have done anything, and he's proven that he can do it. But because of God's grace and love, he hasn't. He hasn't. That's why he said, if he said, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, but he did. We would have been like Sodom and made like Gomorrah. The seed was through Lot. The seed was through Abraham. We look at this today and we say, wait a minute. What do you think, God? Just going back to the Garden of Eden, when man first sinned, God knew what's going to happen within the next, the rest of a man's existence. He knew. What do you think God would have said? You know what? Why do we got to deal with this? Let's get rid of it right now. Right here in the garden. You want to deal with a flood? No, I don't want. Let's do it. Do we want to? Deal? Can you imagine the Godhead having a discussion over this? Well, they don't have those kind of discussions. They already know what they were going to do from the very beginning. They could have. We could have been dealt with from the very beginning. But what Paul is trying to say: Yes, God has the authority and He has every right. But because of His love and His grace and His mercy, and He's a God of sovereignty, He loves us. He He chose to still make a way when there wasn't a way could have done away with us. And so we have seen God's sovereignty, God's love, God's grace. Now in verse 30, we're going to see man's responsibility. Verses 30 to 33. And there's some teachings out there, Calvinistic views, hyper-Calvinism. They think that man has no responsibility. We have no power. We can't save ourselves. Yes, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any of us should boast. We're saved by grace. Yes. But we're not forced to accept it. We have this, again, free will. Again, illustration of that barricaded road leading to a broken bridge. You have the choice. It was, you were given a warning. There's destruction. The other side of this barrier, there's no bridge. Right? You had that choice. It was a choice. The willing... They forget when Jesus lamented over Israel. What did Jesus say? Oh, Israel, oh, Israel, how I wish that I could gather you as a, as, a, as a hen would gather a chicks, but you were not willing. He didn't say, well, I'm sorry, you wasn't chosen. So stay there. The other side of the wall. Oy vey. No, you had a choice. Joshua said, choose this day who will you serve. That's a choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So man's responsibility. Let's look at verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained the righteousness? 
even the righteousness of faith? In other words, even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they weren't trying to follow the law. But yet they were made righteousness by just having faith in God. And that kind of blew their minds. I would be frustrated. I went to rabbinical school. I was born a Jew of a Jew, went to synagogue every three times. And all they had to do was believe. I had to memorize scripture. I had to do my bar mitzvah. I had to memorize some verses. And all they had to do is faith. Oh, they're right. They're, now they're good, good God. I have to learn all this. You see, it just blew their minds away. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, verse 31, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Wow, that blew them away. All that schooling in synagogue, rabbinical school, all that, oy vey. Now they see Gentiles have found righteousness even though it didn't seem like they really looked for it. They weren't looking for it. They didn't care for it. While Israel seemed to really work hard for righteousness of God. And then I find it. I worked hard. All that. I put the phylacteries, that, you know, leather phylacteries they put on their arm and in their forehead, the commandments. I did that. I went, I went to Israel. I went to the wall. I did all that stuff. It's the righteousness. You see, righteousness has always been inquired the same way in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There's no difference. We think Old Testament, New Testament. There's different ways of... No, it's always been one way. Righteousness is only one way, and that is through faith. That is through faith. In the Old Testament, the requirements, how do we know the requirements? Was only by faith. Abraham... Abraham, the father of faith, before the law, before Moses, before all the rituals, before the Levitical priesthood, before the temple, he was found righteous before God, Genesis chapter 15. And here we are today, and I just love, I thank God he's the father of faith. I like to meet him when I get to heaven. Because here's a man who was never raised by godly parents. They didn't believe in God. Here's a man who never had a Bible. It was never written. Moses wasn't even in the picture. Yet, he believed in God. It was counted from his righteousness. It blows me away because today we have the Bible. Today we have video, DVDs, classes, studies, teaching, sermons, series about faith. And you have a man who didn't have all that, but all he did was believe in God. You see that? Believed in God. Abraham believed and was made it made him righteous before God. He was saved by faith. So the same requirement that's in the Old Testament is in the New Testament. is in the New Testament. The Old Testament is the same requirement for all. And it's the same requirement for either Jew or Gentile. Some people even teach that because they're Jews, they go to heaven automatically. No, you're wrong. Don't mislead and don't preach that lie. That's heresy. You might as well say that because they're Catholics, they go to heaven automatically. It's sad. But some people believe that. Why did Jesus go to the Jews? Why, why did Paul go to the Jews first? Because they too need salvation. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. Just because, you know, they say, our father is Abraham. And? That doesn't mean you go to heaven. Jesus said, he told Nicodemus, he said, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. 
Unless you're born again, you, can, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care if your father's Abraham. You can't go to heaven by your parents' faith. God doesn't have a different requirements for Jews or Gentiles. There's only one way, and that is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That is it. While the Jews were worrying about doing the law again, the Gentiles, okay, Jesus, great. Finally, you know, didn't have to go to rabbinical school. Free will. When, you know, when you think about Paul's ministry, when, when he gave his life to the Lord, he, in his missionary journey, he went everywhere. Every city he went to, where did he go first? He went to the synagogue. Everywhere you go, he goes in the city, synagogue. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired uh, Luke to write this in the book of Acts. He went to Troas, synagogue. Synagogue. Everywhere he went to the synagogue, he was born and raised in the synagogue. He went to the Jews first. Not to say that the Jews is a priority, but the reason why he went to the Jews first, because the Jews have been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah. And he's telling, hey, listen, don't need to wait anymore. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I mean, if I had information to give people, and if I have somebody I've been waiting weeks for the information compared to somebody who really doesn't even know, who cares, I'm going to go to the person who's been waiting. Am I not? That's why he went to the Jews first. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. Not to say by priorities because Jesus had to come from a Jew. It could have been from any group, but it was from a Jew. What happened when Paul went to the churches in the synagogue? What happened? They kicked him out. We don't need you. Get out of here. Beaten, stoned, left for dead, left for dead, dragged out of the city. Had other people going after him, traveling, trying to find him in his ministry to kill him. And who? We're the ones that accepted the message, the majority Gentiles, the majority Gentiles. But Israel, verse 31, pursuing the law of righteousness had not attained to the law of righteousness, verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, verse 33. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The Jews were stumbling and stumbling. And what caused the Jews to stumble during this time was a stumbling stone. Who is the stumbling stone? Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. He is the rock of salvation. And it was this stone, Jesus Christ, that was offense to them. And they kept stumbling and stumbling. You talk to them about the Messiah, Yeshua, it's a stumbling block. In fact, you even talk about Jesus as a stumbling block. You talk about Jesus even offense to people who are not Jews. The gospel is offensive all of a sudden. Well, right now we live in a wimpy country, and I'm sorry, we do. Everything is, oh, it's offensive, going to court. Offensive, you're being demoted. Offensive, you're being fired. Every, all of a sudden, it's a crime because people are offended. It's a wimpy country. I think a pastor's wife once said this. If a lion was let loose, a lion was let loose in America, the lion would starve to death. You know why? Not enough men to eat. That's deep. I I like that. I kept it back here in the back of my head. And it's the truth. But here, we're talking about the offense of the gospel. The Jews were offended by this stumbling block The Jews stumble on the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, Jesus Christ. They were offended. What does it mean by they were offended? They were offended in the way that God has chosen to save man, in the way God has chosen to save man. 
They stumble at the way God the Father sent his only begotten son. They were looking for Messiah. They were looking for a nice, good-looking individual. They were looking for one that came from the, from the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, but they forget the prophecy from Melchizedek that said that the, prophet, the, the, the Messiah will come from another tribe. He's coming from the tribe of Judah. They're looking for one, a, a Messiah that would deliver them and save them from the rule of Rome. Little did they know, there was a carpenter, the son of a carpenter. They didn't like the fact that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Does any good thing come from Nazareth? No, I can't be the Messiah. He was born of a virgin. Really? They didn't believe that. That was a prophecy. They would be born of a virgin. They would say, born of a virgin? Wait a minute. Didn't our Pharisees say to Jesus' face, we weren't born of fornication? They didn't believe in the virgin birth. That's our Messiah. Nazareth, born of a virgin. And now look at him. He's at the cross. Anyone who is crucified is considered a curse. That's our Messiah? That's offensive to say our Messiah is going to be of Nazareth, born of a virgin, crucified on the cross. That's not our God. That's not our Messiah. No, we don't want that. That's an offense. This is why Paul, when he opened up his letter to the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he writes this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, you remember this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first, and also for the Greek. I'm not ashamed. Paul is not saying, I'm not ashamed. He's not saying I'm being ashamed because I'm a Christian, I go to church. No, I'm I'm not ashamed in the way God the Father has chosen to send his only son to die on the cross for me, to take my shame on the cross, to take my punishment, the wrath of God. I'm not ashamed. The Romans looked down at the Jews. They were like low-class people, let alone to look at a low-class Jew on the cross. They were considered a curse. And the Romans are probably looking, that's your Messiah? Okay, by all means. Yes, I look at the cross. That is my Messiah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. It's not an offense to me. What I see is love. What I see is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who has taken away my sin. I, I should have been on that cross. I'm not ashamed. You consider it offense. I consider power unto salvation for everyone who believes, from the Jew first and to the Greeks. I'm Romans 5.8 shares, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus still died for you, and He still offers you new life. If you're ready to learn more about Jesus, we'd like to encourage you to find a local church family that you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, we'd love to have you come join us in person here at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and directions, visit runningtheraceradio.com. If you'd like to listen again to today's message, Tracy has information on where to find it. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to runningtheraceradio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many more. Thanks, Tracy, and thank you for tuning in today for another edition of Running the Race.